Hello everybody and welcome to the multi-award winning, unstoppable, unshakable, unbreakable WTS pod. My name is Danny Murray. My name is G-G-G-G-G-U-N-E-T! Graham Merrill Merrigan, how are you on this, our 177th edition of WTS pod? I feel wonderful. How do you feel? I feel tremendous. Lovely. Indeed. We're recording. We're recording midweek as per usual. Sometimes we eat before recording, sometimes we don't. Tonight, I have not yet eaten. Thank you. I did eat. I had a lasagna. Oh, I wouldn't be a fan of lasagna now. No. I don't like sheet pasta, thank you. Uh, and I completely understand why. Lasagna would be one of those things that... A good lasagna, I'm all for. But if it's not, like tip-top fucking Ace of Spades lasagna, then you are just getting kind of meh on your plate. I know, yeah. I like it. I eat it it when I'm lepping, but, I mean, my requirement for it is that the cheddar cheese is, like, really crispy on top. Thank you. That's fair. That's That's fair. Um, Turn into Gary McElroy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mero. Don't. I'm asking you not. I'm asking you not. You don't even have. We're, we're more than halfway through the week. I'm very content with life now. Please don't bring what I think you're going to bring up. You don't even know what I'm going to bring up, though. Go on. Mero, I'm gonna, Carry on. I'm going to ask you to just uh, cast your brain back to uh, the other night. Yeah. And um, I'm going to ask you to think about. Um, a moment that maybe wasn't easy for you, uh, but but I I took great pleasure from it. And I'm gonna ask you how you felt as a Phil Collins fan when you watched that video of him in the Ultimate Warrior resurfacing. Oh, very good. <laughs> uh, I'd never seen that video before. Had you not? I'd seen it years ago. But, <laughs> no. but then the other night when I seen it again, I was like, I forgot about that. Fucking how hilarious. random is that? Absolutely fucking hilarious, like. Neil Collins and the Ultimate Warrior. The best part about it is that randomly, throughout the video, you can just hear the Ultimate Warrior going... (laughs) 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 Juice up eyeballs. Oh, fucking tell you, man. 100% freshly squeezed juice in that boy out there is. I'm telling you, man. And... Pablo Escobar's finest up his nostrils. Oh, the fucking bags of it, man. 100%. Like, fucking cocaine bear running wild, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts. But it's oh. random. Like, I've never seen that. So when I came... Did you send that to me? I or did I send it to you? I can't remember if you sent it to me or if I sent it to you or not. But I just... I broke me shite it's laughing at it. It's off that Twitter page you and I love. 90s WWF. Ah. Unbelievable. Fast. It's WWE is the name of it. I was 90s WWE, is it? Sorry. It's fast becoming one of my favourite Twitter pages because they just put up like absolute nostalgia gold. Like, that's ah, brilliant. Like biggest pops and oh, memories man. like that. I never, I never ever remembered Ultimate Warrior and Phil Collins. <laughs> I can't remember. Where, I think somebody tweeted that video about three or four years ago when I seen it. Then I thought that is probably one of the most bizarre things I've seen from the world of wrestling. And then obviously it's recirculating this week, and I just cracked up laughing at it. That's, but, um, I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, Fighting with my family, uh, the yes. new wrestling Hollywood yeah. movie by Stephen Merchant. With the rock. That looks really good. 
the rocks in it well and the rock touches is great i think it is yeah it is um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing that as well on yourself now it's i think it's out this weekend is it and it's got 95 percent from rotten tomatoes that's nice yeah that's nice. it is isn't it yeah. you like rotten tomatoes i could take or leave rotten tomatoes oh man right yeah so right. i just i mean it's great like i mean th- look the problem for me with rotten tomatoes is that you know a film say like the hangover which for me is a 90% that easily will get something like 76%, you know, or so that, film, did it actually, the first hangover is sensational. It is. It's comedy gold or a film like say, I don't know what's a film I hate. I robot. A film like I robot will get, you know, 95% or something like that. And I'll be like, how's that got 95%? And then the Dublin Derby of February, 2019. You know what I mean? Like, you and that, absolutely. And that was a classic. I just don't understand how Dinny Corcoran didn't get the Ballon d'Or. You know what I mean? Yeah. One nil bowls, Dublin's red and black. Moving on. Hello. We can go on to our guest, do we? Yeah, this week, lads, we're talking <laughs> about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things, baby. Let's talk about sex. That's it. We are. We're going to be talking sex. What? Riding. What? Bonking. What? Shagging. What? Right? That's what. So we are uh, bringing back friend of the show, Emily Power Smith, sexologist extraordinaire. And... A woman who uh, can educate and also just simplify one of life's great complications. Because it doesn't need to be one of life's great complications. But anyway, you don't need me and Meryl to tell you that. It's great to welcome back sexologist Emily Power-Smith to WTS Pod. Emily, thanks for ever joining us. My pleasure. It's great to be back. It's lovely to be asked back. Thank you very much. How did it took so long, Emily? <laughs> That's all right. At least it wasn't premature, eh? <laughs> um, there we go already I thought I was, we were going to be the, the immature ones I was going to say yeah. and Meryl maybe you can comment on the premature bit <laughs> nice, nice. Um, Emily, it's, it's been that long Emily I suppose, Look, we, we'll kick off by just getting you to remind ourselves and everybody listening what exactly is a sexologist so sexology is the scientific study of, of human sexuality and it borrows from all other fields pretty much that end with an ology, psychology, criminology, um, anthropology. Um, also, I, I borrow quite a bit from neuroscience because a lot of the, the newer research coming out of neuroscience is really helpful to explain how we do relationships and how our bodies work um, in regards to our sexual arousal, for example. So. It's a scientific study, so it's based on scientific empirical research. So therefore, it's not based on tradition, myths and legends, and uh, it is kept up to date by by current global research. So that's what sexology is. And so I'm a sexologist, and a sexologist can do any number of things with this training. I could be a a therapist, which I am. I'm a couples and, and individual therapist um, and group therapist, if people are polyamorous. Um, people can advocate for sexual rights for people who may be in institutions or people, or, you know, kids or um, minority groups. 
or you can go into um, forensic sexology, which is the kind of the, the criminal side of things. Um, and education is the other big one that you can go into. Yeah, so that you can do all sorts of things. But I do a lot of those. I don't do the criminal one. You, you mentioned education there, and I suppose that's probably one of the, the key topics that gets brought up kind of at least once a year in the media. Um, and it's definitely something that I know myself and Mero were having a chat about it beforehand. And in terms of sex education for teenagers and even and even preteens, because it seems as though people are getting younger and younger when they start finding out things these days, yeah. there is a severe lack of decent uh, information and honest kind of education out there for young people. Um, is there nothing being done to tackle that? Yeah, there is. There's a lot being done. So I guess like the last time we talked, um, the conversations were beginning to happen mm. around how bad Irish sex ed education is. And um, it was beginning to be forced into the political realm, I guess, around that time, maybe even a little before. And since then, it's really been ramping up. They kind of, as with the, you know, they have to do it this way, I guess. They had to get some research in order to warrant policy change or spending money on this so it's taken a bit of time but certainly this year now there's quite a bit um being done to redevelop and re-establish re and, and to establish for the first time an inclusive sex positive sex sexuality education program for ireland that will be um unaffected by a school's ethos so at the moment uh, the way it goes is schools get to decide what sex ed they provide based on their ethos. So if it's a Catholic school, the education is going to be pretty poor based on that. And, and that, so that's, that, that's how it goes. And most Catholic schools still tend to outsource their education to Catholic groups, some of which are, you know, absolutely, most of which have absolutely no right uh, to be teaching that kind of stuff. They're teaching shame and sin and teaching abstinence, teaching all the things that we know from other countries where they have been doing the research for years, all these things that don't work at all, at all. In fact, STD uh, rates are higher in states in America, for example, where they use abstinence-only training. Pregnancies wow. are higher, suicides are higher, and rapes are higher, and um, also... The Bible Belt in America has the highest porn usage of the whole of America. Oh, for God's sake. That's, that's funny enough, that's the same at Glenavon Park and Ballybrack. It has the <laughs> highest. <laughs> what, you, you were saying there that um, the last time we spoke that um, the conversation was just starting to happen. Why is it only happening now? Like, Is it because of the church and, and state kind of connection? I think it's like any social movement in Ireland, isn't it? It's not until people become pissed off enough and kick up enough that the politicians, because they want to be popular, because we have po popularist uh, uh, politics nowadays, it's not about actually about politics as much as it's about popularity uh, uh, votes. So once it became really clear that people were fed up with this, I think social media and the ability to voice our, our feelings and make them public has really changed politics, and I think it's it's partly to do with that that uh, there was such, there's been and there continues to be such a public outcry 
for something that will keep our children educated and safe um, because this what we have now doesn't keep us safe. We know that. We, we've grown up in Ireland. We know how little our sex ed, if we got any, uh, contributed to our, our social safety. You know, it's a, it's a joke. So I think that's why it's taken so long. And I think that's why now there's a real movement for something to change because the pressure is on. Yeah, I, I only learned... I only learned like slang words in sex education and that was probably sixth class so aged maybe 12 and then when I went to secondary school it was down to uh, kind of uh, photographs in the biology book but there was never there was never like uh, practice safe sex or there was never anything about it even having it that's right so that's the problem with abstinence based uh, education they don't give them any information and we know because they're doing the research in countries like America where they have this stuff for years we know that the people the children and they often are children these days who become who are being sexual in and taught abstinence they they figure out ways to still be sexual that doesn't involve a penis in a vagina so penis in anus is okay penis in mouth is okay they found all these if if you have penetrative sex penis and vagina sex but no one has an orgasm it's okay They've come up with all these interesting little ways to to be sexual because it's because we're sexual beings and we want to be sexual, but so that they can look their parents in the, and their priests in the eye and say, no, I, I haven't had sex, and in their mind they're going, I haven't had that kind of sex. But so by not telling them, they won't have it. Exactly. So, oh so the problem with, for example. Uh, giving people no education around how to have safe and good sex, enjoyable sex, is that when people choose, for example, to have anal sex as their first penetrative experience, they haven't a clue how to do it in a way that isn't possibly actually damaging for them, let alone agony. Um, so, and I know that when I worked as a child, as, a, as an art therapist in Ballyfermot in 2000, uh, around 2006 and seven. The childcare workers in the schools I worked in there were telling me that they knew 11-year-old girls and boys who were having anal sex as their first penetrative experience because all they knew about sex was it didn't get you pregnant. Wow. It's, it's, it's mad that you're saying that, though, because um, we Meryl put up a thing on, on Instagram asking people if they had any questions about this kind of stuff to, to fling some on. And... As always, because, like you were saying, Ireland sometimes doesn't have the maturity for these kind of conversations, myself included. I'm doing my best to kind of, like, not giggle at times here. But <laughs> somebody trying to be a smart aleck or whatever actually sent Mero a question saying, what was it, uh, can any harm come from doing it up the bum? Or something along those lines. Yeah, and, and you actually, no harm. They mightn't be joking. They yeah. could be, you know, they well, could really- Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Was, what was it? Is there really no harm done from taking it up the bomb, I think? So I think they were trying to. But, yeah. but either way, you, you've just kind of. Someone, that could be someone with a really sore bum. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, we don't you know what they've been up to. Yeah. Well, to know if there is any harm done to their bum. Yeah. And there could be. I mean, because if you have, if you have, if you have um, anal sex without any lubrication and without any um, warm up and without any um, foreplay, you can actually do a little bit of. Uh, it, it, it depends. It would be, have to be very, very hard for it to be really damaging. But people get damaged that way. Yeah. And you get psychologically damaged if you're a, an 11-year-old and that's your first experience and it's agony and you don't know it's going to be agony. So you think there's something wrong with you so you don't say anything. 
And all the focus then is on the little girls receiving that. But I'm very curious to know what it's like for a little boy of 11 doing that. It'll hurt his penis as well because it's absolutely dry what he's, what he's pushing into. Um, and knowing that he's causing pain to somebody else. Um, you know, the whole thing is very, very messed up to, to set people up, little children up as perpetrators and victims almost when all they're trying to do is show curiosity and, and, and be naturally so, playful. So they don't that, know how to do that. that. That kind of thing would carry through the adulthood, I presume, then, the, the, the psychological side of it then. If, you know, I, I, I don't know in terms of what Ireland's record is like for people presenting themselves to... Uh, medical professionals with physical injuries from sex and I know there's always kind of those shows that present the kind of comical side of it but like yeah I would imagine if somebody hurt themselves in a serious way that they did have to present to a medical professional the embarrassment the shame all those things you were saying earlier are a negative would obviously have a massive impact but actually I'd be more worried about the people who don't present you know, well, yeah, because Jesus. there's so much shame and stigma attached to it. And if it's your bum, it's even more embarrassing. So I would imagine there's an awful lot of people who don't get any help and just suffer in silence. And, you know, anal sex is a it's an art form. It's, it's, it takes skill and it takes practice and it takes a bit of education to learn about the, the muscles in the in the anus, the sphincter muscles there and everything. It's not it's not something that you can just do successfully without any of that generally speaking unless you're very very lucky it's generally not going it's generally going to be agony i i, I presume did, 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 sorry go on Meryl. no i was just going to say there about you know you were saying about um it nearly takes research to do certain uh sex moves or whatever you want to call them um do you think do you think that's what's lacking then in the our psyche and as far as uh, men and women are kind of just got like I don't know what other way to say it, but they're just going in and out and then see you later. <laughs> do you know the way? Instead of instead of let's like, saying like, can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a, an Irish woman, like an average Irish woman or an Irish an average Irish man, kind of looking up Google uh, before we before we do that tonight? We should check: Are we doing it right? Th- there's no way that happens. Like no. And some people will get it right. Some people will know a little bit about lubrication. Some people know a little bit about massage because they they have looked into it. And it only takes one of you to know a little bit, and you can you can kind of persevere, and it it can it can work out okay. I mean, it's not it's not like it's all going to be an injury, and it's all going to be dreadful. Some some people do manage manage fine, um, but most people who I work with, for example, come to me and they've had bad experiences because of that because they haven't known what to do and they haven't known there was anything they should have done. So they're coming to me to go, there's something wrong with me, because that was agony. And I'm like, well, did you know that your sphincter muscle is like two and a half or three inches long or deep? So if you massage the outside of the anus and relax that bit of the muscle uh, and get something in a little bit, um, the, the, the bottom part of the muscle isn't going to have been relaxed yet. So you're going to hit another wall of agony. So then there's more work that needs to be done just to relax it. And they're like, no, we just like tried to shove it straight in and... You hope for the best. Which is what most people do. That's are a lot we, of prep, isn't there's, there's no Are we okay here uh, just totally focusing <laughs> on the, the ins and outs of anal sex? Is that okay with you? There's, there's no crack in that, lads. There's no crack in that. <laughs> <laughs> there's no... Um, I love that one, though, 
so then, and, and then again, I was touching on the education and probably the research piece because it's not just anal sex that can that can cause problems. If some if someone, for example, is going out to buy a sex toy, should they be doing research into that, or is it as simple as popping into Ann Summers being like, "I like the look of the purple one, thanks very much," and out the door. <laughs> We've all, well, those of us who are sex toy users, and I would be one of those, uh, we've all probably done this, done that one that you've just said and bought based on how something looks. But it's really up to you. If you want to go in and do a hit and miss thing, it's not going to do you any harm. Right. Except that the, di- the thing is about sex toys is that there's no regulation globally for them in regards to listing what their products are made of or how they're sourced. So a lot of the products, a lot of cheaper sex toys, and let's face it, actually there are very few cheap, cheap sex toys. They're, they all they charge a fortune for rubbish, but most of them are made from non-body safe um, um, materials um, that leach into your body. What's the word I'm thinking of? Um, that like, they're like. made of silicone. So a lot of them are made of so. so if a toy, so yeah, so there is damage. If you're going to put a rubber or a plastic toy inside your vagina and it's full of phthalates or whatever that word is and, and parabens and things that you wouldn't want to put in your mouth, you shouldn't put them in your vagina because it is as porous as a mouth. So if you care about that stuff, not everyone has to, but if you do care about what you put in your body, then you need to care about what goes in, in that end as well. And that goes the same for anuses. So any toy... A little, a few tips on that. Any toy that smells is not body safe. Any toy that wobbles, you see those kind of jelly ones that kind of wobble around, they're not body safe. They're porous, so bacteria is going to soak into them and and breed, and then you know you can you can get infections from them. So you want um, body safe silicone or metal. Or glass, if you're just looking at dildos, which don't have a, they're not the vibrators, they don't have a, a motor in them, um, in order to know that you're, you're, you're buying a safe toy. And those toys are expensive. So what I say to people is, because it's trial and error, because I can't say to you, oh, you should get this toy because I love it and it's brilliant for me, because I'm not you. Um, I'd say go into Ann Summers or I'd go somewhere where they're cheaper toys they have some really good toys by the way and their staff are really well trained so you will get good advice in there but buy a cheaper one pop a condom over it that way you're not getting those nasty things leaching into your body and you can kind of test the waters to find the kind of toy you like before you spend a hundred quid or more on a on a really good one um the cheaper ones tend to only last a short period of time they burn out maybe that's just how much i use them i don't know um (laughs) <laughs> the expensive ones will last you and you get a you know you get a warranty and you get a guarantee and you get a I mean Lalo which is one of my favorite brands you get a little a little lapel pin a Lalo lapel pin very subtle and you get a, a like a black membership card I don't know what the watch are meant to do with them like <laughs> notice each other in a queue at the airport or something hey Lalo user I don't know what it's for but anyway they're very snazzy and you get like 10% off your next toy and they last for 10 years and you know you've got a good toy there it's mad you were so saying about you were saying about warranties and guarantees Mero had a blow up doll and it kept going down on him <laughs> and we had to explain <laughs> that's what it's <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> oh 
Atastaf I'll get giddy now I'm sure there's a single use plastic joke in there as well but yeah um, <laughs> just the, want to think about toys obviously well not, well not obvious to everyone but if you're going to use toys in your bum they need to be specifically for that because they need to have an anchor on the end of them because your bottom will suck a toy up it up itself <laughs> <laughs> Jesus now, do you hear that, Danny? Do you get those instructions, Danny? Hey, when Danny laughed with his mouth that wide open, I think I can see a toy coming up his throat. That's the traveller. I mean a toy traveller, sorry. So, look, the bottom line is, that sphincter that's so long, if you get a toy beyond that, you're not. it's not coming out. It's not coming out, unless it has an anchor on the end. So, like, it would have a... It's a pity I could have brought you so many toys and shown you. You, we can all see each other, but I know yeah, your, yeah. your listeners can't see us. But um, they have a like a that would be the the toy. This the the, the toy, and then it would have a, a bit that sticks out either side at the end to stop it going into the into the bum. So a lot of ER thing uh, that is... situations that people have to deal with are with things that have travelled up an anus because they didn't know that. Bottles, that, that, aerosols. I was going to say that, that explains how all these kind of mystery objects end up inside people, then. Oh, because, sorry. yeah, that's that's and mad. If, 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 if you're getting, say, um, clients, go, would you, would, would clients actually be going to your, to, to going to you and trying to get kind of spice up their sex life or whatever? And would they, would they be, Considering using sex toys and just afraid to use them, or do yeah. they, you know, it's not it's not macho, it's not macho to use them and stuff like that. Yeah, you get all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I'm a great uh, advocate for sex toys, and I think everyone should have one. And it doesn't mean any of those things that people worry about that oh, my sex life isn't good enough, or oh, his penis isn't big enough, or oh, I'm going to get replaced by a sex toy, which is are the sorts of worries men often have. Well, Women have two uh, that they'll be replaced by a sex toy. Yeah, automation is a big risk for people at the moment. Yeah, yeah but the, <laughs> the thing is, you know, a sex toy, I have to be very careful because I have to say that for a long time in my life, I had a spaniel and a sex toy and I didn't need an awful lot else. I got my cuddles, my cuddles from my <laughs> spaniel and I got my sexual satisfaction from my toy and I was, I was good. I was, I didn't need an awful lot else. Merlo was the uh, same with a Spaniard and a sex toy. A Spaniard? <laughs> I couldn't get a Spaniard. I had to settle for a Spaniel. There you go. <laughs> you did better than I did. But um, um, I think... Danny's giddy. I said sorry about that, Emily. You what? Danny's gone very giddy, so I'm sorry about that. I'm used to giddy, and I may get giddy myself. Don't worry, I like giddy. It's a good way to be, I think. Stick it this time of night. If you're not careful, I'll go and get a glass of wine and then I really will get giddy. Have the thing at is, it. Have at it. The thing is, um, what were we saying about about toys? We, we want to think of them as, as if you're cooking a stew, it's going to be lovely and you might love it. But if you add a new spice or you add a different kind of seasoning, it might just be a little bit tastier. It's not that you're going to not having the original, going to stop having the original stew that's your favorite and the one you've, had it for a long time and you know it and you love it just means you have variety and you might choose to put that in another time or not and it's the same you know with sex toys you don't have to use them every time but they can certainly enhance your play and they and this is from for men as well 
you know, there's a, the focus is mainly on women and sex toys and then men feel they're going to be replaced. But the funny thing is that the majority of women who know how to use sex, sex toys love penises if they're straight and want to use a toy that's external, not internal, and they want to use it on their clitoris while they're having the penis or before their penis or after their penis, but not instead of the penis. It's really and can I ask, can I, sorry, sorry, there are interrupts, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, does, can too much, uh, can too much masturbation affect performance on the scratcher? It depends on how you masturbate. You know, oh, really? same, same as anything, too much of anything, depending how you do it. So, so yeah, if, if you, if you masturbate really hard and fast, you know, like, like a lot of most, I think most males learn to masturbate hard and fast when they're first learning how to masturbate. If they're living in a house with other kids or their parents tend to walk in or, you know, they don't have a lot of time that they don't have to account for, you know, they got to do it quick and get off. So they learn to do that at an early age. And for some men who are prone to premature ejaculation, for example, that's going to really affect their partner sex in later life because they've developed a habit and, uh, and an arousal cycle that is short. Um, so that can mean they can ejaculate quicker than they want to. Some men are prone to premature ejaculation and there's not an awful lot you can do for those men who are, are prone to it uh, genetically. Um, but most men aren't. And um, how, how, do we, how do we let the women understand that, though, Emily? <laughs> well, you get them a really good body safe toy. <laughs> you learn how to be a really great kisser. <laughs> and you get really good at anal. <laughs> um, there's there's the, 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 um, the other thing is, if you masturbate, so were you, you might have been alluding to the traditional belief that if you masturbate before having sex, you won't be able to do it, or is that the, is that the, that you should no, just finish if you're planning to have sex because you'll last longer, or? Um, it was just a question that came in when I, when I put that up, someone was just asking. So if you masturbate to porn... A lot. And I'm talking like hours a day and you're on your own and that's and you're kind of isolated. That is possibly going to cause you to have erectile difficulties. Oh, really? Yeah. So what happens is if you are masturbating and you're watching porn, the way we watch porn these days is we have one hand. Oh, I'm going to I'm talking as though I have a penis, which I don't. But um you have you've one a man a ma man might have one hand on his penis and one hand on a keyboard or his phone, flicking from scene to scene. So it's quite common for a guy to have you know six windows open at once so he can get to the bitty likes on each scene. Um, what happens is every time you see something new, you get a little hit of dopamine, which is the same chemical that you get when you shop, and it's a little pleasure hit, and so. You're watching porn and you might have like, you know, with the different windows open, you might get 10 hits of dopamine, little ones as you're watching your thing and having your, or your, you're unmasturbating. However, when you're with a real human being, you get one hit of dopamine. But if you've trained your arousal cycle and your penis to need 10, then after the first one, you might lose your erection with a real human being that you would be able to maintain when you're masturbating because of the dopamine hits. So that's one thing that, one way it can actually 
impact you, um, then the, the, it, your, your masturbation style will also affect things. If you masturbate with a really, really strong grip and then you're with a human who doesn't have that same grip, again, you might lose your erection. Um, because a lot of people wouldn't be able to say, hey, um, can you give me a firmer grip than that? Men often aren't able to say that to their women. Uh, and we're just talking about heterosexuals here um, at the moment. A really interesting thing is that women tend to touch penises very lightly because they imagine they're as tender as their clitorises. Men tend to touch clitorises way too heavily because they think they're like their penises. Um, wow. So you can often get a mismatch there. Um, so a woman's clitoris, that tiny little nub of a clitoris, the, just the glands of the clitoris, the head of the clitoris, which is the visible bit for, for you, uh, has the same amount of nerve endings as a whole penis. So to give you an idea of how, what I'm talking about. So women yeah. will often think they're going to hurt a penis if they give it a good grip. <laughs> there you go. There's, a, there's advice for everybody in that last 30 seconds there. Um, Absolutely. Lube is your best friend for hand jobs. For women, if you have a woman who's a little bit shy of giving you a good hand job, give her lube. If you have a man it, who's worried about it, give him lube. If you have a person who doesn't identify as either male or female, lube is your friend. Does it matter if it's water-based or oil-based lube? Well, water-based will dry quicker. It's a great question. Graham, Graham's lost it there. He's he's gone. Come on, hello. <laughs> I just didn't expect Danny to ask such a great question like that. <laughs> so the difference, there's a lot of difference. So water-based is the most commonly used probably because it doesn't mark your sheets or your clothes. It's easily bought and it's safe with condoms. Oil-based is not safe with condoms. After a few minutes with an oil-based lube with a condom, the condom just kind of dis disintegrates and we'll get a hole in it. Um, I've seen it happen. So, um, so if you're, yeah, um, and it will stain clothes. Now, it has a longer lasting effect, though. It will stay slippery for way longer than because mm. water based soaks in and dries up and goes tacky quite quickly. Um, so, if a person is suffering with severe dryness, a woman, for example, um, severe dryness, I would suggest she does a double glide technique where she uses both uh, oil and water. Um, but otherwise, I think water is probably a better bet. Here's the thing about lubes you need to know. Durex, for example, doesn't put its ingredients on any of its products. It oh. doesn't have to. There's very little regulation around this stuff because it's sex and we're all ashamed. So um, if a lube sm uh, smells of something, you know, like strawberries or if it tastes sweet, yeah. it has sugar in it. If a woman is prone to yeast infections, thrush, and she uses that kind of lube, it's going to make that much worse for her. Jesus, right. Wow. Uh, yeah. Oil-based oil -based lubes, they can be made from petroleum, which isn't great. Uh, they can be made from, from dodgy things, but generally the, the thing you have to be careful about with, with oil-based lubes is you need to wash them off very carefully because they can stay you get them under the foreskin or you get them inside the vagina and you, and you leave it there, they can also breed bacteria. So from that perspective, they can be a bit tricky. So it's really whatever you need. Here's a really good trick, though, with water-based lube. Um, when it goes tacky, have a glass of water by the bed or wherever you are having sex, the kitchen table maybe, or the car. Have some water with you 
and you can just dip your fingers in the water and then um, re and apply that to the area and it'll go slippery again. Oh. You're using a way less lube. Value for and, money and everything. Yeah. You get at least twice, if not three times, the, the length of slipperiness if you add water. That's but they it, don't yeah. tell you that. I was going to say, the, the, the lube companies will be after you now for yeah, giving yeah, away yeah. trade secrets. Uh, and you're also helping yeah. diabetics. I didn't know that about the sugar. So if there's any diabetics out there, lads, watch what lube you're buying. It uh, is a real, it is, it does, it actually can, it can actually cause quite a lot of problems for people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned there when you were talking about kind of lads and, and learning to masturbate and that kind of thing, and that hit a dopamine. So when it comes to somebody who presents themselves with, say, a sexual addiction, is it just a case of the chemical hook, or are there other things at play for a terrible pun? I've yet to meet a sex addict, but I've had many people come and present as such because they've been diagnosed or labeled as such, but I've yet to meet one. I I, I think they exist, by the way, but I think they're a lot less common than we're led to believe. And sex addiction, as a diagnosis, goes with sexual shame, I've learned. So... I would be very interested to see a study. I'm just ma- I don't know that the one that one exists, but yeah. anecdotally, from what I see in my work, I would think that um, I would I would hazard a guess that in places where there is less sexual education that's reliable and there's more sexual shame, there's going to be a lot more diagnoses of sex sex addiction because the people making the diagnoses and the people labeling have their own levels of shame and are sex negative often. So any behavior that they think is untoward or unacceptable, they label as sex addiction. So is it is it more likely that somebody might have, say, an addiction to pornography than it is a sex addiction? I think addiction to pornography is an interesting one. I think we have to, we would need, it would be lovely to be able to separate again the people who make these diagnoses. Right. Uh, uh, separate within them. The people who who are who just think sex shouldn't be porn is bad, so anyone who does porn should be labelled as an addict because it'll stop them. Okay. Yeah. Versus people who really have addictions. So let you know the same with with alcohol and drugs. There's a dependency, which isn't an addiction, and there's problematic use, which isn't addiction. And we have those, um, but then we also just have normal levels of use, which is being labelled as an addiction. And I I, I have these. And they're always men, and they walk through my door, and they say, right, here I am, I'm a sex addict. And um, I say, how do you know? And they tell me, uh, one of them, for example, had been had been diagnosed by a nun. Um, oh, for Jesus' sake, are you serious? Who was an addictions counsellor, and she sent him on a month's residential program for addictions, and he was the only one labelled as a sex addict. He was there with drug addicts and alcoholics and gamblers, and he was put on a, on the twelve step program, which doesn't work for sex addiction, how, even if you have sex addiction. How would a twelve step program for what? what? Well, that's what's done in Ireland mainly for sex addiction, as far as I can gather. Though I I, I don't know every program by any means, but step six, step six, take your hand out of your pocket. We're watching you. Do you know, like I, like I'm baffled. Got a in your pocket. You just have to be the same. Like, I'm genuinely baffled by how somebody can think that like there's a twelve step program to something like that. That's well, yeah. it's because because it's about it's about shame. So a lot of the the twelve steps for alcoholism or whatever you know is about 
owning your your owning your bad behavior, um, saying you're sorry, and all that stuff for for doing really bad stuff. That isn't necessarily what's going on when somebody is acting out sexually. They don't mm. necessarily. But the worst thing about it is, sex is a natural need yeah. for human health. Gambling isn't. Alcohol mm. isn't. Drugs aren't. So we need a program that's more along the lines of what they use for eating disorders, where you learn to monitor and manage your behavior rather than abstain from it. It's crazy. Abstinence therapy for sex, for, for an addict, what the people call an addiction. So I have had somebody talk to me about um, how they'd been told that masturbation was acting out. So it would be considered the same as falling off the wagon if you were an alcoholic. And... Jesus. You know, and then all they were doing was something natural and good for them. It's good for men to ejaculate. It helps with prost stops you getting prostate cancer. It's a good thing to do. Um, but people are making these diagnoses and giving these treatments, and they haven't a clue what they're talking about, and they want to shame people. So when they present themselves to you, and they've been told by a nun, or they've been told by somebody else that <coughs> they're addicted to sex... Uh, uh, by the time they leave you, you're, you've, I, I gather you've told them that you don't think they're addicted to sex, is it? Yes, I do tell them that if that's what I what I think after talking to them. But I, I can tell you, um, I've had three three men come to me and last anything between one and three sessions. None of them could stay because they couldn't accept that they weren't addicts. And they couldn't accept that they weren't shameful. And they couldn't accept that they should be cured of this problem. And I wouldn't do that. And yeah. because I wouldn't, they'd been so indoctrinated. And because we grow up in the in Irish society where sex is a shame, is shameful and is sinful, they couldn't, they couldn't do the work with me. They couldn't accept that I wasn't going to do that. So they, they didn't come back. Very, very sad. I don't know where they went. I don't know what happened. They... But they wanted us. They wanted the, all of them, in their own ways, wanted a therapist who was going to continue what they'd been already had, which was to shame them into abstinence. Is is shame is shame arguably the biggest obstacle for Irish people when it comes to maturity about sex? You tell me. Uh, How is it for you? Uh. It's hard to describe something <laughs> that lasts seven seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think. I think um, shyness and uh, a, a feeling of like, what if they think I'm a weirdo, or what if they think it's weird if I want to say, "Here, can we try X, Y, Z tonight?" Is, or is that why we need sexual role models then? Um, I think any kind of role models, if they're not just, if you only get to see the role model in their role model role, that's too many roles in that sentence, I think that's always dangerous, whether they're a sports role model or, or any other kind of role model. I think role models who are parents are good because you get to see them farting and falling over and being dicks and then making up for it and just being fallible, normal human beings. They're the best role models. Um, for whatever we're doing, because if you set yourself up against someone who seems perfect, mm. it's it, it's an awful recipe for anxiety, which our our culture is riddled with now. 
and this 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 overwhelming feeling of inadequacy, which young people are really struggling with, I think more than ever. So, sexual role model, great. I'd rather see them though within people's families, um, normalizing sex, because I think what what you were just saying there is really um, important: the the discomfort, the shyness, the embarrassment. The is it weird? But if you grew up in a family where nakedness was normal. Where talking about periods and masturbation uh, was normal, where sex was considered a healthy and natural thing to do, that's your role model. We don't need to go crazy and, like, you know, find or present or create sexual athletes that we can all aspire to. Sure, we have those in porn, but but they're, the problem with that is they're only acting. Mm. Same as, you know, you're not going to go out and drive like they drive in The Fast and the Furious. But unfortunately, people do go out and have porn sex. So you can go and get driving lessons from someone who actually knows how to drive in Ireland on roads and keep you safe and not getting arrested. You can't watch a porn, uh, something on uh, some porn, and then go and get the same kind of reliable education. That's the problem. So people don't know not to do it that way. To, to make an unusual jump, <laughs> where or, or, or is there? logic then behind um, legalising sex work and does that potentially provide an outlet for people to learn how to have better sex here's the thing I think that I think what we really need to be looking at is the context the social context within which we are going to educate or legalise or whatever we're going to do Mm. so if you had legalized if you legalized sex work without looking at the um, underlying misogyny and chauvinism that still is rife in our society, those people are not going to be respected as educators, even though they could be educators. Of course, some of them could, but just because you're a sex worker doesn't mean anything more than than you have sex for money. It mightn't be the money you get to keep. You might have been trafficked. You might hate it. It might be repeated rape. It mightn't be that you're an empowered, I love sex and I'm good at it and I'm willing to teach people. That's the fantasy that men put on to sex workers so that they don't have to think about the reality of, of a lot of sex work. And those women do exist. There are amazing women who love sex and do that job because they love it. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a, it wouldn't be a, it certainly wouldn't solve the problem because you'd have all the stigma of going to a sex worker until we start looking at our cultural context or social context, that won't change. Do you know? I think we should legalize sex work for sex workers. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, in terms then of, and maybe again to make a little bit of a jump to go back to kind of where we were because uh, that question was just a random one that popped in as you were talking. But, Very good question. Um, the shame element and that whole thing of the shyness and the oh what if they think I'm a weirdo if I suggest this and that kind of thing people who are in long term relationships can suffer from that just as much as somebody who's in a new relationship I would imagine like you know they might have this idea that they'd like to try that they've had for a number of years that they think oh if I say this it could ruin everything and I'm with this person I love them very much and that kind of thing but things are starting to go a little bit stale and a little bit you know so is is there advice or is there i'm sure there's no one size fits all in terms of how to approach that subject with 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 a partner but 
for somebody who is in a relationship where maybe it's gone a little bit stale, what kind of things are, are easy to, to bring those conversations up and start to rekindle the flame? Well, you're kind of you're kind of answering it in a way because the, usually when relationships, sexual relationships, go stale, usually it's because the couple are staying, each of them are staying in their comfort zone. So there's a few factors that play into that. One is, say I'm in a relationship with you, and my pro, uh, and it's gone a bit stale. Women in particular are taught to protect men's ego. So rather than saying, "Listen." Um, things have gone a bit stale I'd like to try some more stuff women are less likely to give that information to men because the men may have may, may not want their ego protected by the way I'm not saying this is but but we are trained in society by the way we're brought up to, to do that so that doesn't help men don't communicate that information to women in the way of a dialogue or a community or a, a conversation between equals what men, and I am, I am generalizing here, which is always a bad thing to do because, of course, not everybody is, is like this at all. But often a man is, so women are trained to do that and often men have been trained, you might relate to this, to, to sort out your problems on your own. Don't talk about them till they're sorted. And so they deal with sexual problems and staleness in the same way. So it's very common then for a man to, out of the blue, rather than have a conversation, arrive home, with a sex toy the size of a donkey's leg and some crotchless, <laughs> some crotchless knickers and say, now, darling, let's spice this up. <laughs> and they scare the living bejesus out of her, you know, um, because they have never asked her, talked to her. She thinks the sex once a month and the cuddles and the snuggles are great. She's happy. And then he's here, I'm going to fix our sex life. And she's like, A, there was nothing wrong with it. And B, what the is that you know so this happens quite a bit actually it's it's not that unusual and men are just trying to do the do the right thing it's not like they're trying to be annoying or anything they're really trying to help but they don't know another way to do it so talking is the key and talking out of your comfort zone saying the things that are hard to say saying the things that you think could wreck the relationship so if you are worried about that then you need to take a little bit of time to learn how to communicate stuff you need to say because there are ways and means of saying anything to your partner that can make it a lot easier don't bring up the subject of sex being boring while you're having sex big mistake oh yeah people make that mistake don't bring up this kind of topic if one of you's naked or both of you are naked because you're a bit vulnerable and you're a bit kind of like oh right and kind of you know do it play to your strengths do it and do it in a, a neutral environment have a short conversation. If one of you has been thinking about it, don't assume that the other one has as well because they may not have all, at all. So the first conversation might be two minutes long saying, you know what, darling, honey, sweetie, whatever, I'd really love us to have a conversation about our sex life. I'm, I'd like to, I, I think it w- it's time to maybe try a few new things. I want you to have a think about it and let's have a chat on Friday night over dinner. I'll bring you out, that kind of thing. So you're giving your person a chance to have a think about it and not to feel defensive, to get over that and that kind of thing. Do you know, so there's ways and means, but you're spot on. It is communication that we all try to avoid, but it's the, it's the thing that will, will help you to spice up because you need to be on the same page. You know, if I have a fantasy about being tied up, gagged and spanked, and I say to you, I have a fantasy about being tied up, gagged and spanked, and you go, right, okay. I'm going to sort that out 
on Saturday night and I go, oh, brilliant. How do you know what I mean by tied up, gagged and spanked? You could arrive with like a serious whip, a proper ball gag and some handcuffs and want to tie me, you know, to a rack that you've got. I might be talking about some silk scarves loosely tied with a little little bit on the from the back of your hand, you know, and gagged with a turkey sandwich. Who knows? <laughs> it wouldn't be that because I'm vegetarian, but but <laughs> I'm just saying talking, 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 talking is the answer because you want to make sure you're on the same page with each other when you want to spice things up. I tell you, Emily, a, a turkey sandwich in the bedroom is. <laughs> You have me one over. You see? Playing to the strength. And there's see, a, there's the, a the, stuffing pun in there as well, but we'll leave that go. I'll leave, I'll leave you take care of the stuffing. <laughs> I suppose the part of that question, that, that the reason for it, I say, I would say, is because couples are crap communicators. So yeah. would you would you have a lot of uh, clients present themselves to you with that with those issues or are, is the nation of couples just buried in the sand? Well, I don't see the ones who are buried in, who, who have their heads buried in the sand. They don't come to me. So I see the ones who are, you know, I see a skewed cohort. All the people I see are in trouble. You know, nobody comes to me and says, I'd like to pay you a load of money an hour to tell you how great my sex life is. They're all in trouble. So, um, I have to, I have to, you know, remind myself of that that I'm not necessarily getting a full view of everybody, but certainly the people I see, inevitably, I have yet to meet a couple who haven't needed to work on their communication skills before we can even get to the sex stuff. Oh well. I've had yeah. couples come to me and say, "Would you mind?" When I've said to them, "So this is, you know, roughly what we're going to be working on," who said, "Would you mind if we did this individually in individual sessions?" Wow. I'm like, well, what about what? Why? And they're like, well, because I don't want, I don't want, we don't want to do this in front of each other. I'm like, <laughs> and therein lies your problem. You're, you're, you yeah. don't want, you don't even want to learn how to do, how to talk about this stuff. So no wonder your sex life has gone stale. Would you facilitate that then? No, no, <laughs> no I wouldn't. That's yeah. not going to work like. No. no, no. I it's have to be ethical and I know what works and what doesn't and that doesn't. If couples are so avoidant of talking, then that's what they need to do. Yeah. Do, do you think that um, social social media social media and couples like I mean I th- I said it to you earlier on I mean it can be a match made in heaven in that couples do meet over the internet whether it be on Facebook, Twitter, in Instagram, whether it be an official dating app, um, but Even also the, the more hooking up sites people people meet and, and form relationships. Yeah, so yeah, we agree with you. Yeah, loads of stuff, loads of ways. Yeah, so there's loads of ways, but also if if there's communication lacking in in a in a relationship, it'll bring vulnerabilities to the relationship. So social media then works as the devil as well because there's so much choice. You know, you, you said there earlier on that um, a woman or perhaps a man as well could be happy with doing it once a month in a relationship, but one of them isn't happy doing it once a month and yeah. they can veer off with the options. I mean, is that a hindrance or do you, do you see that? Do you see any of that at all? Yeah, I do. I, I, I see I would have quite a bit of experience of one or both partners flirting on Facebook, for example, with someone else. 
um, and the other part, the, their partner has a real problem with that. Um, again, uh, yeah. So, so look, if there's the honeymoon period when you're in a, when you're first in a relationship, it lasts between six and t- months and two years, and it's based really what they're talking about is the the, the 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 sort of hormones that are racing around your body in those in that period of time. So, I get a lot of people out saying to me, "Oh, my relationships always end after about." you know, however long their honeymoon period, their hormone racing lasts. Once that finishes, they mistakenly think, oh, well, there's no chemistry here anymore. We're obviously not made for each other. I'd better go and find that that hit again of the hormone rush. So um, with social media, a person can stay with their comfortable, safer partner and and find ways to get that rush of the of the of the first relationship without actually having it through the flirting because you know you can get it you get the butterflies in your tummy and stuff just from flirting and you're doing something bold um so it can yeah but i think if you're prone to doing that there's a, there's lots of arguments very contentious issues uh, between se- amongst sex therapists if you're prone to doing that if you're going to look outside the relationship um it is easier now um, but you are probably prone to doing that anyway. There's probably an issue around your ability to connect, stay committed, and feel into re- enjoy real intimacy anyway. Can that be saved? Can that be saved? Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can all be saved pretty much. You know, there are certain things that shouldn't be saved that could be that just shouldn't be. Um, uh, types of relationships or people that are, that are couplings, but but absolutely, if you can be honest and stand stand in your in your damage, stand in your bad behaviour, stand in your strength as well, you can face into anything and and change it with the right support and help. I, I've seen so much. I've seen such amazing change, such incredibly courageous people sitting in front of me in their discomfort, sharing stuff with me that they would rather die than share in order to find health, in order to find recovery or healing. And then they do the work and it happens. It's astounding. I'm so lucky. I see such incredible stuff in my work in that respect. Brilliant. Um, The other thing is, you know, some people um, wouldn't mind their partner flirting on Facebook and other people would consider that cheating. They'd consider it an affair. So again, if you're not communicating... You can't, you, you won't know that. So you won't know. You might think, I might be in a relationship with you and think, um, oh, I'm just flirting on Facebook. So that means nothing. And because we, you and I haven't spoken about it, and you, then you find out about it and you're devastated and the relationship is on the rocks. And I, it never occurred to me because I, it's not my value. I have a different value around it, you know. So that's a really common thing that can happen. And what do you think of all that? Well, I think talking about it's really important. So, you know, some people are prone to monogamy and some people really aren't. And there isn't a right or wrong. It's only religion and and societal norms that say that monogamy is right for humans. Nothing in nature or science tells us that. So, um, you know, it's better if you're a monogamous person to find a monogamous person to be in a relationship with. It's better if you're not monogamous to find someone who is at least comfortable with your non-monogamy, they may still want to be monogamous. So I know a couple um, who, they're not my clients, who one is monogamous to their partner and the other one 
isn't. He likes to go outside the relationship and they have an agreement. So a couple of times a year, he goes off and he has um, the same person he goes to, spends a week with them, and then he comes back to his the person he lives with. And they're really, really happy. There's no jealousy. There's no lying. It's all above board. And uh, they don't talk about it. He doesn't. The guy who stays at home doesn't want to know what his partner gets up to, doesn't want to hear about it, knows it's sexual, and is perfectly okay with that. And I, have a, I have another friend, another couple of friends who are heterosexual, and she's the one who goes outside the relationship, and he's really okay with that. So, you know, you, if you can, but they, they talked, they found this out about each other yeah. before they took any action that would have been disrespectful or hurtful. Are, are polyamorous relationships becoming something that are, I don't want to say more popular, but certainly more prevalent in society as sort of things like the church lose its influence over the, the yeah. Irish consciousness? Like, I think so. I what think does polyphonic mean? Polyphonic. <laughs> Polly what? What does the polyphonic mean? <laughs> polyphonic is the old ringtones on Nokia's Meadow. Uh, yeah, but what was your question? What does that mean? Polyamorous. Jeez, I, I, I thought you'd stumped me there. That never happens. I was like, polyphonic? Shit, shit, I have no idea. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness it wasn't a sex question. Um, polyamory is when you are interested in have being in a, in a relationship with more than one person so it just means poly means many and amory means love so um you know you can have people who marry what's that called poly what's it called oh uh, the, the mormons do it don't they yeah uh, it's, um it's, it's, i was only having this conversation with somebody yeah. last week i can't actually remember but yeah uh, it's gone out of my head poly- it's really polygamous polygamous polygamy, polygamy. yeah yeah Polygamy is, is marrying more than one person. Polyamory is loving more than one person. So it's not the same as an open relationship, and they're often mm. confused. So you'll, you'll often find somebody who is non-monogamous, waxing lyrical, going on about how they are polyamorous or how they want an open relationship. And actually, all they really want to do is just sleep around and call it something else. They're not telling their partners. They're not being fully open and unethical about it. So polyamory means you might actually be in a proper relationship with more than one person. You might have a primary partner and you might have secondary and, and other partners who are um, still very much a part of your life, but they might live with you. Or then you have people who do all live together. There might be two men and one woman or three women or whatever, and they all live together. There doesn't necessarily have to be marriage, but poly and an open relationship is there's a primary couple, there's a primary pair, um, but they go outside the marriage, and that's usually purely sexual, without the love or the intimacy or the relationship part, um, and that is usually again I'm ger- generalizing the difference between polyamory and an open relationship. Yeah, uh, I yeah I don't like I mean. Horses for courses, whatever people are into. I wouldn't have the stamina for it myself. Uh, but yeah, I can't. 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 I
she may have sex with those guys individually. They would not necessarily ever have sex with each other. You know? Merrow's social calendar does be full to the brim. I don't think he'd be he'd be able or willing to take on more. No, but this this is the thing with me though. Like I'm I'm at a stage, right, where I'm single. Mm-hmm. I have I have crushes. We call them crushes. But I just couldn't be arsed getting into relationships. I just don't I like my own time and space and all that. So what would you call that? Avoidant. Commitment phobe. Oh, oh Merrow. Is it commitment phobe? Is I, it actually commitment phobe? I, would, I don't. I, 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 would, I would say yeah. Enough. Just slagging you. I, I don't know you well enough to give you any, give that any name. I'd have to know a lot more about you to know why you're, why you can't be arsed, why you like your own time better than sharing time, and those sorts of questions. But I'll tell you something. I think it's more and more common, and I think it's more and more usual for people to really have to think hard about whether they want to be in a relationship because life is good, isn't it? Like it's good for single people. It's really okay, you know. Yeah, I'm not you can have yeah. and you can be sexual with people. You can have sex um, if you want to um, casually. Um, you can, you know, there's a lot more allowed for single people. So really, it is. People are weighing up more and more. Come on, I'd have to give up. I'd have to sleep on. I'd have to, you know, watch not watch what I want. I'd have to go to bed at different times. Have to, you know, there's a lot to give up. I'm. A, I, I hear you because I would be a highly independent person. And I'm in a relationship and I have to, every day, I have to decide to be in that relationship. I want to and I decide and I'm happy and I love, I'm in a great relationship. But because I'm so prone to independence and I like it so much, my partner is the same. We have to keep deciding to be in the relationship. It would be easier for both of us to just walk. We're both like that. So our, our trick, our learning, our growth is to stay in the relationship and that's the challenge yeah i'm big into the idea of us always moving out of our comfort zone if it means we're going to grow and learn more even if it, we make mistakes or we fall over or it's bad or you know um i think it's always the way to keep moving so for me it's being in a relationship is is the hard bit whereas you hear other people saying oh they couldn't be without one you know yeah i do hear that but do you, do you think as well um the on the online dating culture do you think that's healthy i mean i suppose it is healthy if it's working out for people but let's say you could be you could be going on a date from someone you met online and you could be on day four or day five and you're still uncertain about where this is going but you still could be on the apps while you're on the fourth or the fifth day do you know what i mean and you could be still saying right i'm gone i'm after going out on the fifth day with this girl getting on all right but i'm actually talking to this other girl um, that's I'm getting on even better, but I don't know where that's going to go. But I'm on the fifth day here. Do you know what I mean? I'm not speaking from experience now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering: is that all healthy? Like, I don't know how healthy that is. I guess we don't have enough. It hasn't been happening long enough, and we haven't had research yet to see what it does to people to to do that. But I think if you know. If we had a little bit more guidance and a little bit more help on how to know when we feel good about ourselves, and I don't mean feel admired or feel popular or feel cool or feel strong, or I mean good about yourself, good about your heart, feel proud of yourself as a human being. I think if we had a bit more guidance on that and we're taught empathy more in school, 
I think we would be able to make those calls for ourselves. Does a person feel good if they feel like they're possibly playing three or four people at the same time? Does it make them feel good beyond their ego? Do they feel proud of themselves as a human being? That's really, I mean, we, we have the capacity to know this stuff ourselves. Unfortunately, it seems to be being taken from us and we seem to be being dumbed down and told all the time that we're just rampant, crazed idiots unless we get, you know, re reined in and controlled by our governments. I mean, it's just nonsense, really. I think as well, um, that kind of touches on consent for me, that idea, because same as with an open relationship or polyamory, it's about consent and communication. So if I'm dating online and I'm seeing one person physically, but I'm also dating others, that needs to be out in the open. And the person <clears throat> I'm seeing and the people I'm, I'm, I'm talking to online need to give their consent for that to be the situation. And if they're not comfortable with it, well, you knock them off the list and you find someone who is. There's plenty who are. But at least everyone's consenting and aware, and you're not stealing anyone's choices. There'd be more there, though. Me, as a, and I'm coming at this as a complete charlatan, I'm a nothing but absolute pseudoscience behind what I'm about to say. Is there an element of, remember earlier, Emily, you were saying about the whole thing of the, the honeymoon period in a relationship and people will have, you know, those six, to, six months to two years and after that they kind of need to go look for that feeling they had at the start again. So in, in this world where we have instant gratification at a fingertip and where everything is short buzz and short-lived, is it the case that maybe just our span of needing that feeling or wanting that feeling is getting increasingly and increasingly shorter? So in, in the example that Mero gave of four to five dates in and you might be you know, texting another girl or another bloke and you're getting that feeling that you had at the start of the other one, so is there a little element of kind of the time span shortening and people looking for that buzz quicker and quicker and quicker? I'd say there could be with the with younger people, and I wouldn't know enough about younger people because I'm too old to know and to be talking to them enough to know that, but it sounds really plausible to me what you're saying. Um, I think as well that um, that we're always looking for that, that buzz um, because... It's the only thing that we're taught to look for. Mm. So any movie, any show where there's any love, sex or romance, it's always, they're always in the honeymoon period. Yeah. And if they aren't, the relationship's on the rocks and breaking up. So there is no in-between. We don't get to see the healthy, happy relationships because let's face it, they're, they're going to be really boring to watch. It's like we don't see real sex scenes because who wants to watch a guy you know, staying really, really, really hardly moving his tongue, only just moving it the tiniest little bit, buried in a woman's um, muff, and you can't see his face, you can't see anything, and he's, hard, he's just doing one little action repeatedly for 20 minutes till she has an orgasm. That's not good telly. So that's why we don't see real foreplay that will actually give a woman an orgasm modeled for us. So what we see modeled for us is these things where it's the honeymoon period or it's over. So we all think, I have people coming to me saying there's something wrong with us, we don't feel like that anymore. Should we break up? They really don't know that it's just literally the next stage of the relationship. For me, the, for, for everyone. For me, the, they're, the compared, they're comparing themselves to Hollywood, then. Yeah. A bit like you, a bit like you, Meryl. A bit like you comparing yourself to the the movie. Look at your, your Hollywood smile there, and all thinking you're 
do have a great Hollywood smile. I can tell you. He goes around calling himself <laughs> Hugh Jackman on the weekends. <laughs> um, they call me Hollywood Graham Erdogan, that's Hollywood it. Hollywood Graham Erdogan. Um, for me, that, that middle bit that you're talking about, that whole thing of like it's either the honeymoon period or the breakup, for me, the buzz in that middle period is if you order a takeaway and it gets there quicker than the time they've said it's going to take, that's the buzz I'm looking for in a relationship, lads. That's, I'm telling you now, that's amazing. And if they, if they get up to go to the door when the delivery man presses the doorbell, put a ring on that. I'm keeping her. Well, speaking of deliveries, I got delivered two pizzas that had meat on them, one after the other, and I'm vegetarian. Ooh. Got my oh. but I just wanted to let you know do that. You want, do you want to name and shame the... No, because they're the ones we still use, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they at well, least looked after you with a freebie. I got several freebies, yeah. Ah, there you go. Leave me, I'm well able to, to uh, <laughs> demand freebies when it comes to it. But I think it's a really, I think what you're saying is is really, really interesting. But I, I about about that uh, the the instant gratification thing. I mm. think there is with that. I think we have a we really have an epidemic of anxiety. I'm yeah. really worried about the level of anxiety in our culture. It's out of control. And then people who are anxious are surprised that they have anxious sex or that they're anxious about their relationships or about dating. And yeah. they, you know, they want to come to me and learn how to have great sex, but 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 they're not willing to look at their anxiety. This kind of thing, it's really, it's so endemic. It's so, it's so rare to meet someone who's, who doesn't say they're anxious or stressed yeah. or worried these days. It's almost well, like a badge. I, I think, I think, I think, yeah. And as well as that, if, and especially for younger people, I mean, like, if, if all they're kind of getting in terms of a sexual education is, is by watching porn, I mean, I'm yet to see a Mickey in porn that looks at like mine. If I was comparing against them lads, you know what I mean? And, and you hear it more and more of, of, of boys in their early teens having absolute shame because they have a normal penis. And yeah. getting shamed by the people they show their penises to in a sexual encounter, getting laughed at and shamed because they don't have porn penises. Yeah, I mean these are these these are sexual athletes. Yeah. You know, we like standing. You're you know all about sport. I know nothing about sport. We like standing next to. God, the last. I'm going to say something. You're just going to go. Ugh. Anyway, we like we like you know comparing yourself to David Beckham when all you've done is play football on the green. And then think you're never going to play football again because what's the point? You know, it's yeah. it's just unre- it's so awful. It's so unfair. And by the way, most people don't want queen, uh, porn-sized penises anywhere near them. You don't need... I've often, got, I've often got mistaken for David Beckham, so it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> Is that above or below the waist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you don't need... A Mickey on you like the hammer of Thor, lads. Don't worry about it. It's all right. And it's, it's all right. But it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Men really, men really worry that they should have. I've again, men coming to me with average-sized penises, totally hung up and and worried and afraid that their penis is too small. And here's the thing: you guys tell me this because it's not something that happened in my in my generation. I'm a few generations older than you, but. I hear a lot as well, a lot from men, young men, that they really are are paralyzed with the fear that women that they sleep with are going to tell other women 
and it's going to be spread around about them and they're going to be ridiculed. I hear that quite a lot. Is that, is that something you'd, you've heard I, about? Obviously, no one would be spreading stuff about you guys or ridiculing yeah. you. I don't, I don't know. I'm, like I'm, in, I'm in a relationship it's, now, it's, nearly it's, ten years. So it's it's kind of it's a little bit. Uh, for me, I I don't know. It's not something that I've lived through. However, I do have uh, like mates who have said to me like, "Oh, Jess, yeah, now I've heard your one's a bit of a kiss and tell kind of thing." And oddly Gosh. enough, the comparison of uh, Sex in the City was mentioned. So I think maybe there's an element of that creeping into. You know that whole thing of like, oh well, women can't kiss and tell too, boys, and here's how it's done. And Samantha and I never watched the show. That's the only name I know from it. But you, you know what I mean, like that whole thing. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm, I'm speculating. Maybe plays a part well, in it. This this is why I won't go on first dates, Ireland, Emily. I know on that actually I was quite surprised because it's Ireland of course you're going to see someone you know that's the thing about it isn't it Merrill's afraid yeah. if he goes on that show that he'll he'll have a one night stand and it'll be sold to the tabloids and that'll be him ruined <laughs> or made or, or yeah. made or made ah, you didn't think of that no I didn't why are you jumping right. down the there you go there get we go. that application up Danny I tell you right You'd be a hell of a lot better than most of the people on that show, I tell you. Ah, don't, oh, don't, don't massage his ego, for the love of God. I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to listen to him now. <laughs> um, I mean, the last time you were on, you were saying about that. I asked that what is the most common kind of client uh, being presented, and you you had mentioned um, heterosexual men asking to be cured from homosexuality. Is that still prevalent? Is that still happening? No, I haven't had I haven't had somebody like that now for uh, since I last spoke to you. Probably actually, um, that's that's good that, news, I suppose. Yeah, that yeah. was a similar with 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 some of the men I met. They would have had a similar level of shame around and stigma around what they they did, and they wanted to be cured of it. Yeah, shamed and cured into being cured of it. Um, no, I haven't had that since I have. No, I've had some, uh, no. That is isn't something that's happening. Maybe it, words around that I won't help people to not be gay. Maybe that's what <laughs> it, it baffles is there, me. Is there any anything odd in the last in the, since we last met you that's been presented to you? Well, um, I can't. I couldn't really go into you know actual details yeah, yeah. like that. But, but so it's easier to talk about sort of things that happen in waves or things that I notice about, you know, the, the, the work in general, if I, if I specified weird things that I deal with, it could be too close to the bone for people. So I absolutely, yeah, so of course, I, yeah. But, um, that's typical American looking for tabloid dirt there. Don't worry about I can that. Tell you, I can, I can simply say yes. <laughs> right. Right. So that's, what did Danny say when he saw you last week? Well, he was more talking about, I was, I was asking, do I need to be cured for curiosity, Graham? And the answer was a fair no. <laughs> Badly. Um, it's, it's um, an ever fascinating field that I work in. It's absolutely incredible, amazing. I'm, I'm. You still love it. I love it. Um, I'm going to. Um, I, did I talk to you last time about Betty Dodson? Did I ever mention her to you? Yes. Is this? No. I, I can't. Or maybe you didn't mention it, but maybe I just read about it. Is this the um, 
I, I'm going to use the term old woman for want of a better expression in, I think it's New York, who teaches masturbation classes. Yeah, fascinating. Sorry, I told you, you seem to know exactly what I would have told you about her. So she's turning 90 this summer. Yeah. So I'm going over to have her, uh, to celebrate her birthday with her. So that's going to oh, be brilliant. Really, yeah, you can guess what I'll be doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it there. <laughs> if, if, yeah, no, but this woman is incredible. Like, if genuinely, if you've not heard of her, Google her because what yeah. she has done for for women is is amazing. And with it being the week of International Women's Week, there's there's when we talked about role models earlier. There's somebody who people could learn something from. Today's International Women's Day, I think, actually. The 8th of March. 8th of March. Next Thursday. Next yeah, yeah. Thursday. Because so, um, um, the reason that I thought of it was because she there's an episode of Sex in the City that was modelled on her ah. classes. So that just rang a bell for me. So she's turning 90 and she still teaches. She's got, I know because I get, I get her information that she's got three... Uh, body sex groups happening before the summer this well. year so she's still working hard um, and she's well worth look it's Betty D-O-D-S-O-N well worth looking at her if you want sex positive real shameless sex education about any topic you can think of yeah. she covers it all on, on YouTube and short vlogs and then her website is absolutely packed with bloggers and her own stuff and it's all reliable shameless and sex positive which is what you want for your educators i can't i can't remember what journal i, I like i'm thinking about it, i was trying to figure out where i knew it when you said it and there, i think it was a new york times journalist that done a feature piece and uh, maybe a they year did. maybe a year or two ago on it and it was absolutely brilliant in terms of they just, went to one of her body sex exactly workshop. yeah and they just blew away any of the stigmas within the opening two paragraphs it was a brilliant read um emily that hour and a little bit absolutely flew by and, uh, I'm, dead. And, and thank you for not putting us on the clock uh, with it. <laughs> You're very welcome. I was enjoying it. Um, it's great to talk to to intelligent people with lots of questions. I uh, like that. Well, well, I'm I'm sure so, the term intelligent so won't get used often time, with us. Next time you might find you, would you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm only um, messing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only messing. Um, um, Next time we won't leave it so long. That's for that's for definite. We might we well, might we might touch base with you after the summer to see how you got on in New York. Well, I'm always very happy to talk to you both. It's a pleasure. Brilliant, Emily. And, Thanks so much, Emily. And before we let you go, if people want to see more of your your commentary and find out more from you and that kind of thing, where can they find you? Oh yeah, so I'm learning about Instagram. I'm just too old for this stuff so I'm learning about Instagram don't try and find me there because I don't know how to post on it yet Um, I do I tweet very rarely but I have a Facebook page called Empowers Me and that has some really great stuff in it Um, and my website is empowersme.com so you can find stuff on me there and on YouTube I have a YouTube channel which only has two things on it at the moment which is my TED talk and my appearance on the Tommy Tiernan show so um, don't bother with the, well, the TED talk is uh, a bit disappointed because as I started the talk, I realized the screen that had my notes on it didn't have my notes on it. So I had oh, to wing no. it. No. I didn't have to wing it. I didn't realize I could say, because it was pre-recorded, uh, excuse me, can I get my notes? I didn't even register oh. that. I just winged it. And I walk out of shot at times and it's just pretty amateurish. Um, 
and I missed a few key points which would have made it a really, really good talk. But the Tommy Tiernan one is good. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Emily, once again, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I can't wait to have you back on the podcast again. Absolute pleasure. You take care of yourself. Have a great summer. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Unbelievable knowledge from that woman. So I'm a commitment phobe now, is it? You are, yeah. By all accounts, you are very much a commitment phobe. And um, look, I would say for any woman, Graham, it is intimidating when they see you have 697 crushes. <laughs> don't have that many. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd need to consult with uh, the librarian of your crushes, Pat Padjo Flynn, <laughs> who has managed to keep a very good primary source first-hand account of the many crushes you have. <laughs> they're not real crushes. They're celebrity crushes. Right. Right. Okay. Okay, so if one of those uh-huh. celebrity, if one of those celebrities was to match with you on Tinder, you you wouldn't message yeah. them because they're on. Ah, you would. Exactly, you would. Of course, you would, Graham. Of course, you would. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be like, what up, Mirren? <laughs> <laughs> Does that so today then, as of February twenty eighth, when we're recording this, Mirren O'Connell is, is is your primary crush, is she? Yeah, I have a big crush on her now. To be honest, um, she's not responding to many tweets though. I'm only joking. <laughs> if anybody out there knows Mirren, tell her we know a guy. What What I was getting at in, in with Emily there was that you could, like, what was I getting at? I was actually getting at that I don't want a relationship, but I don't mind going on dates. So that is a commitment phobe, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. It's kind of like you want all the fun, but none of the work, Graham. No, but I'd like dates, and I'd like to say that in my head I'm open-minded as to see where it goes. But, yeah. <laughs> are you are you essentially telling the, the listeners of WTS Pod that you uh, are enjoying and want to continue enjoying life as Ballybrack's most eligible bachelor? Oh, Absolutely. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And to be honest with you, I'm just glad that you're able to come out as a homosexual in this day and age. <laughs> with no stress. <laughs> yeah, no, to be honest with you, man. Sorry? Sorry, sorry, go on. Just, no, I don't, I don't think there's nothing wrong with wanting to, you know, just have um, casual, laissez-faire um relationships you know what i mean you don't want that in serious that's fine i don't think that i don't think there's any obligation on you as a human graham to to enter into a serious relationship if you don't want to and there's nothing wrong with just you know there's 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 not an obligation but everyone else is yeah because i think there's there there's a societal expectation that that's that's the pathway that we follow you know what i mean it's that whole thing of you find someone you settle down you have kids you buy a gaff you get married, you know, not necessarily in that order or whatever, but like, it's almost yeah. like there's, we all have individual paths, but we're all on the same fucking roadway, if that makes sense. You know, there's certain things yeah, but, that are, are almost not, predefined. Yeah. That, you are? Not getting any younger. Yeah. You're not crying, but sure, what's that got to do with that? You know what I mean? There's no, 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 no. It's not, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't affect me, but it, uh, things like that affect uh, society when, they're kind of going, ah, oh, Jesus, so-and-so's 
37 they can't find anyone Jonah I am loving life yeah yeah and it's that classic thing as well there's some people who feel like you know you know that whole thing of like neither of us are married by the time we're 40 we'll find each other huh you know them stupid no. fucking things like yeah yeah yeah, so you've it's about, like you've about fifteen of them, do you? <laughs> fifteen of those. Well, when if we if we're not with anyone by the time we're forty, fuck it, we'll just get married. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you you gave yourself a lot of options. So you probably have a priority list that you're going to work through when you hit forty. Are you? I've more than one, less than five. That's you've given yourself options. That's the amount of crushes I have at the moment. More than one and less than five. Yeah. Money joking. Oh, am I? Yeah. Sure, listen. Danny, what's the latest with our Crisp World Cup? Uh, yeah, we have had. Lots of be about it. We have. We've had a great reaction to the Crisp World Cup, and uh, the draw will be commencing very shortly. Um, details. On, details on Twitter, lads, at WTS Pod. Keep an eye out for details over Crisp World Cup. 32 delicious, delicious crisps going head to head in a World Cup knockout tournament and when I say there is no place for salt and vinegar in this World Cup I mean there is no place for salt and vinegar this goes salt and vinegar they didn't they didn't Graham they didn't get through the qualification stage hunky dory salt there has to be salt and vinegar there does not have to be salt and vinegar chipsticks were mentioned Chipsticks can go at all they are is a nuisance to your teeth and gums. They get, oh, fu- they get fucking stuck in your teeth. Listen, if the people if the people demand chipsticks, I I will bow and I will allow them in. I I'm not Seth Blatter. I'm not Michelle Platini. <laughs> I'm not going. To, I'm not going to deny somebody their rightful place by handballing the crisps across the line that I choose. But, all I'm saying is, anybody who thinks salt and vinegar crisps are going to win a World Cup is fucking delusional. It's like putting a hundred <laughs> on North Korea to win the World Cup. Not going to happen. We'll see. Final nominations in, lads, this week, because as I said, we're going to do the draw soon. A lot of shouts, a lot of shouts for Mighty Munch. I'm excited about that. Monster Munch, Mighty That's Munch. You know, so yeah, uh, hashtag Crisp World Cup at WTS Pod. Let us know, lads, and uh, follow all the action, and then get voting on the polls to vote for whatever crisp you want to progress from the group stages, and uh, and then we get into the juicy bit, the knockout bit, and it's going to be exciting, and I can't wait to crown a winner. But um, and and if you want to go back to last week's podcast uh, where we talked about the Crisp World Cup for the first time, you can check that out on any podcast provider by searching WTS Pod on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Republic and Apple Podcasts. Um, <laughs> or any other nostalgic podcast from back in the day. Yeah, listen yeah. to the first one, Emily Powersmith. Listen yeah. to this one. Go listen to BJ Galler. Go back to listen to Chris. Christy Bleeding Moore was on What's the Story. Yeah, you can uh, get knocked out by heavyweight champion of the world, George Foreman. Or you can go back and you listen to Wayne McCullough, Irish Olympian and boxing ledge bag. I'm not sure about the app that Graham mentioned there, which was Podbubble. I've never heard of it, but I presume it's decent. <laughs> uh, I, I don't keep up to date with technology the way Marrow does. 
So, uh, yeah, if anybody's using Podbubble, let us know what it's like. <laughs> most people... <laughs> most people are using iTunes and Spotify. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> He's at Dan Joe Murray on Instagram, Twitter. I'm at Merrigamania on Instagram and Twitter. I love Instagram. This has been What's a Story podcast. We're out. We'll see you next week. Until next time. Clear eyes. What hearts? Can't. Too sweet! Too sweet!